If Martha Jones had learned one thing during her brief time with the doctor, it was never to wonder how a bad situation could possibly get any worse. It had been alarming enough when he'd informed her that it was time for her to go home. And it was true. Their original agreement had been for just one trip in the TARDIS. That had become two trips, then several. And now, just as the doctor set the controls for the Royal Hope Hospital in early 21st century London, they were flung violently across the console room. Martha stared up at the ceiling. What just happened? She asked. Beside her, the doctor was already clambering back to the controls. We've hit something in the vortex, he called. Must have pulled out in front of me without indicating. I hope they're insured. One of us should be. A sonorous bell began to chime throughout the entire ship. Oh, I hate that noise, said the doctor. What is that? Martha asked, climbing to her feet. Some sort of TARDIS car alarm. Bit like that, yeah. Only a billion times worse. Frantically, he began checking the console. Oh no. He looked up at Martha with an expression that told her how bad things were. It's not just us that's in trouble. It's time. Time itself is in agony. And we're slap bang in the middle of it. any point in protesting the logic of the doctor's statement. Martha knew that. But how could time itself be in pain? The doctor began pressing buttons and pulling levers on the console. There's only one thing I can do. Try to force an emergency materialization. Come on, come on. Don't fight me. Martha felt the floor shudder. She wasn't keen to find out what might happen when a TARDIS crashed. But at last, after repeated pleas from the doctor, the TARDIS landed. In one seamless movement, the Doctor threw on his coat, bounded across the room and yanked open the door. Right. All ashore who's going ashore, where are we? Asked Martha. Inside whatever it was we hit. I hit. The TARDIS hit. Martha wondered if it might be wiser to get as far away as possible, as quickly as possible. But the Doctor had said there was something wrong with time. And no one knew time like a Time Lord. So, warily, she followed him out, into who knew what. The second the TARDIS door shut behind her, Martha realised that she did know what, or at least thought she did. The padded circular seating covered with a creamy beige material, the piano in the corner of the room. She'd seen photographs of a place that looked very much like this one. Back when her mum and dad were having their first rough patch, she'd suggested a way for them to try and rekindle the old magic. It's the lounge of a cruise ship, she said. The doctor gravitated toward the piano. Smiling, he touched the side of the instrument. As he did so, the keys began moving by themselves. Self-taught as well. He removed his hand and the music suddenly stopped. Pianos didn't do that in her time, Martha knew. Clearly then, they weren't in her time. So where exactly were they? For some reason she couldn't fathom, the doctor was now sliding his palm across the wood-panelled surfaces. We could do with a brochure, he said. 
one of the panels he pressed lit up. Look at that! Got the magic touch. Well, Cleopatra always used to think so. Martha arched an eyebrow. Before she could ask any questions, though, a man appeared in the space between them. Hi, I'm Nathan Hogg, welcoming you to Planet Earth and to Backtrack, the premier temporal sightseeing experience. Martha had seen enough science fiction films to recognize a hologram. The fact that the man seemed to have no bottom half was also a big tip-off. Face it, you didn't come here to look at monuments to our lengthy and, let's be honest, extremely bloody history. No, you want to see the actual battles. Well, with Backtrack's unique time-piercing technology, you'll be traveling to one of the many millions of famous examples of human combat. That's right, we're that kind of species. Maybe you'd like to see Custer's last stand of Little Bighorn. The Battle of Trafalgar. Or the Geist Invasion of Moscow in 2256. 2256? Oh, I must make a note of that, said the doctor, patting his coat pockets in search of a pen. Oh, looks scary. But rest assured, you'll be watching it all from the safety and comfort of the outcome. The finest vessel in our fleet. Here at Backtrack, we're experts. And we can guarantee that nothing can ever go wrong. So just relax and enjoy the experience. As quickly as he'd appeared, Nathan Hobb vanished. So does this give you any clue why time's in pain? She asked. The doctor shook his head. This? Nah. That's the trouble with time. It always tells, but never straight away. Although, I've had nothing but trouble with travel firms tinkering with technology they don't understand. Martha shrugged. I'm not sure what you're getting worked up about. I mean, sightseeing through time? Isn't that what we do? The difference is, I know what I'm doing. Once upon a time, my people kept an eye on things like this. But that was before... He trailed off. And Martha found herself mouthing the words, The Time War. They'd spoken about it once but she'd seen how much pain it brought him to remember the past, his planet, his family. She wanted to tell him it'd all eventually be okay, but when she placed a consoling hand on his shoulder, did touching everything in this room set something off, she wondered. Good morning, passengers. I hope you enjoyed your rest. Martha recognized the voice coming over the speakers as the man from the commercial. The good news is we'll shortly be dropping out of the vortex, so if you'd like to dress, those of you who wear clothes, that is, then join me at point C on the observation rim, where your holiday experience will begin. Thank you for choosing Backtrack. We didn't exactly choose it, did we? The doctor said. Just sort of bumped into it. Well, Miss Jones, you heard Mr. Hobb. He's waiting for us on the observation rim. Let's go and introduce ourselves. I want to ask him what he thinks he's doing messing about with time. Come on. The glass doors slid open, allowing them to leave the lounge. They stepped out into a long corridor that seemed to Martha to have a slight curve to it. Were they on a flying saucer, she wondered? A metal plate on the wall provided them with directions to point C. They passed several doors, behind which they could hear conversation. The cabins of the passengers, Martha supposed. She was so preoccupied with wondering what they might be that she almost didn't notice the huge window opposite. Outside was a swirling dance of colours she never imagined could have existed. She was looking at the vortex itself. The way it undulated seemed to be more than just movement. It was a language all its own. 
just gazing at it, Martha felt plugged into the entire universe. It was... Horrible, said the doctor. Martha looked around in surprise. Oh, you're looking at that, yeah. It's a good thing they inlaid the window with isotetric agitation crystals. Never stare directly into the vortex without eye protection. It can do all sorts to you. Don't get me started. She realised he hadn't been referring to the view outside the ship when he'd pronounced something horrible. Following the direction of the doctor's pointed finger, she observed a small patch of mould on the wall. Ah! she exclaimed. You took the words out of my mouth, said the doctor. I'd leave a strongly worded review on Time Trip Advisor if I could only remember my login. Wonder what this is? He was about to lick the stain before Martha slapped him lightly on the back of the head. Don't taste it, she said. I thought you were supposed to be a doctor. I might be able to identify it, he explained. This is another black mark against Mr. Hobb, literally. He trudged away, Martha following closely behind. Had they lingered a few moments longer, they would have seen a few tiny fragments of the mold stain break away. They hovered in the air, shaping themselves into globules. In this new form, they began slowly and lazily drifting in the wake of the Time Lord and his companion. On the observation rim, the outcome's passengers milled around, waiting. Nathan Hobb took a head count before he started proceedings. 26, 27, 28, good. Ladies and gentlemen, and others, thank you for joining me. We're right on time. But when you have a time machine at your disposal, you're always on time. <laughs> yeah, anywho, we're due to come out of the vortex right about now. Absolutely nothing to worry about, just another bit of time turbulence. But if you look out there, you can see the date is the 14th of October, 1066. And one of the bloodiest battles in Earth history is about to commence. Unnoticed by Nathan Hobb, the Doctor and Martha joined the assembled passengers. Martha had seen different life forms before, of course, but never so many in such a confined space. Oh, there's a Califera, the Doctor said, pointing out an eight-foot-tall grasshopper-like creature. It chittered excitedly above them. I thought they all died out in that world war. Actually, maybe they did, and they haven't had it yet. Best not to mention. Martha was more interested in the massive creature in tweeds that brushed past them with a husky, Excuse me. I didn't know the Hulk was going to be on board, she said. The doctor appeared confused. Hulk? Oh, you mean him? No, that's a Magera. Glad to see them getting out and about. I'm assuming they've got their rage issues sorted. Martha looked warily at the Magera's fearsomely sharp fangs. The doctor went on, trying to reassure her. They're basically sweethearts. Just don't make them angry. You wouldn't like them when they're angry. But get them on a good day, they'll roll over and let you tickle their tummy. I think we can all agree it's certainly a beautiful day for it. Now, if you've all studied your brochures, you'll know we're not actually above Hastings right now, but eight miles to the north. William's forces have been in England for the past 17 days, moving from... I can't see! grunted the Magera. I'm sorry, what was that, sir? Can't see! There's no need to concern yourself. We'll be going to full transparency in a moment. All you have to do is look down and you'll have the perfect view of the entire conflict. So, if the ship's transparent, does that mean the soldiers can see us if they look up? The doctor asked. No, thanks to the perception filter, we... Who said that? Uh-oh, thought Martha, as she so often did in the doctor's company. All right, 
Who are you two? The crowd parted to reveal the new arrivals. Don't mind us, said the Time Lord. Just carry on with what you were doing. Oh, and it's more like seven miles. How did you get on board without reservations? Believe me, I have reservations. The Doctor realised that the other guests were distinctly unnerved by their unexpected presence. Nothing to be alarmed about. Everything is perfectly in order. It definitely is not. Explain to me why I don't just put you off the ship right now. Well, there's this thing called the Web of Time, but I expect you know all about that if you're in the business. He produced the wallet containing his psychic paper. Perhaps this will explain. I'm with the Bureau. It says there you're from the Temporal Travel Regulatory Body. Uh, yeah, the regulatory body. We call it the Bureau. Under his breath, he murmured to Martha, It's been playing up a bit recently. Martha looked down and noticed that the paper now read, I'm not really sure how this thing works. Out in the corridor, following the Doctor and Martha's trail, the dark globules of mould floated slowly towards the observation rim. They pulsed, feeling the presence of higher life forms. They had no consciousness to speak of, no sense of purpose, but they were irresistibly drawn to the large group of creatures in the room ahead. Those beings were so complex. The globules knew no desire, but still they were aware that those lives were theirs to take. Without them, they could never be more. On the observation room itself, Hob was struggling to reassure his passengers. No need to panic, folks. It had slipped my mind that it was time for our annual inspection. It's all just a formality. Oh, he's smooth, said Martha. The doctor was forced to agree. For a second, he had me believing it. He's like human psychic paper. All the best con men are. Nathan Hobb didn't offer a hand to be shaken, but neither, Martha noticed, did the doctor. Annual inspection, the Time Lord repeated. Well, we've only been operating for a year. Why not? Hobb nodded at Martha, and she thought she saw genuine friendliness in his expression. Who's she? I'm his supervisor, she explained. It's his annual inspection. If people knew you were the one watching the Watchers, I doubt they'd mind half so much. She couldn't quite find it in herself to be charmed, but at least he deserved marks for effort. So, if you'll just follow me, Mr. Ferret? Ferret? That's what your ID says. Yeah, well, it would, because I'm... Mr. Ferret. He checked the psychic paper. Most people at the Bureau call him Doctor, Martha told him. Because he wears glasses sometimes. It tricks people into thinking he's cleverer than he is. She's got your number, Doctor. Yeah, that's why she's the one in charge. You can access our flight records and permits from the bridge. Actually, Mr. Hobb, I'd prefer to give your drive system a proper going over. See what makes it tick. It doesn't tick. It purrs. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, Doctor, but I'm going to have to refuse that request. That goes for you too, Miss Darling. Martha blinked. Was that really what he'd read her name as? I can't risk you tinkering with highly complex systems while we're in flight. Once we're back in the 30th century, I might consider it, but I'm going to have to see something a lot more official. 30th, right. That explains the fashions. The what? 
Oh, forget it. Ladies and gentlemen and whatnot, if you'd all like to put on your headsets and select the audio commentary in the language of your choice, I'll be back with you momentarily. Okay, you two. Come on. Just a minute, Mr. Hobb. The doctor spun on his heels to face his companion. This should only take one of us, Martha. You might as well stay here, taking a bit of history. Look out for me down there. I'm pretty sure I was here. More than once, as a matter of fact. I could never find a good place to park. And I had to cut out the part of the tapestry that would have raised a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. Just mingle. Find out what you can about this operation. At that moment, the grasshopper-like Califera began to spin around on the spot, emitting what could only be a cry of distress. What's happening to him? It, said Martha. The other passengers took a step back as the Califera collapsed. Is there a doctor on board? Hub glanced at the doctor. A real one, I mean. I'm almost a doctor, Martha announced. I thought you were a supervisor. She ignored him. She wasn't about to take any back talk from Hob or from anyone else. The doctor gave Martha an approving nod. They both crouched down, studying the prone alien for any indication of injury. There was some mottling on one limb. She reached out, intending to turn the Califera over when the doctor's hand restrained her. What is it? She asked. That. He pointed at the mottling. I've seen it before. Now that she looked at it, it did seem familiar. Yeah, it's like that stuff on the wall. Bet you're glad you didn't lick it now. No, he said. I mean, before that, if I didn't know better, I'd say it was Malorian fungus. Malorian? But I've never seen it spread like this. Before their eyes, the grey blotch snaked up the Califera's limb as though it were a living thing. In seconds, the insect's head was covered with fungus. He's having difficulty breathing, Martha noted. The doctor turned on Hob. Get the Malorians back in their cabin. They need to be quarantined right away. There aren't any on board. The doctor appeared confused. Martha tugged at his sleeve. Doctor, it's too late. He's dead. What? What are we going to do with him? I could get rid of him for you, croaked a reptilian creature. The doctor smacked its flicking tongue away from the corpse. You've got a sick bay, right? Martha asked. Why would I have a sick bay? She glared at him. You're joking. You're not joking. I run a tour company, not a health service. Look, there's a medikit in a box behind that wall plate. It should have everything you need, I think. The doctor put on his glasses as he stood up. Mr. Hobb, you're going to take me to the ship's drive system now. Fine. Anything to get you away from here. Martha pointed at two horrified, vaguely bovine passengers. You two, you're going to be my nurses. Before she could issue any instructions, one of the aliens stumbled backwards, hitting the floor. Another one, Martha announced. The fungus, it's all over his hoof. Martha, you're going to have to stay here and treat him. I really need to see those engines. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of causal link. The medikit should help out. He grabbed Hob by his collar. Come on, you. Ow! As the doctor marched him out, Martha became aware that the frightened tourists were all looking at her, expecting her to know what to do. Five minutes earlier, she'd never heard of Malorian fungus. Now, as a doctor in training, she was the only person even vaguely qualified to treat it. Right, she said decisively. Medikit. The doctor followed Hob along the corridor towards the outcome's engine room. He couldn't help admiring the design. Gotta love a classic flying saucer. This ship is saucer-shaped, right? You must have seen that when you came on board, Doctor. 
We didn't exactly come in by conventional means. I'm not sure you really are from the temporal travel regulatory body. In fact, I'm not even sure there is such a thing. If it helps, think of me as some sort of galactic ticket inspector. So, apart from this one, how many ships do you have? Apart from this one? None. This is it. On your commercial, you said you had a fleet. I do have a fleet. Of one. And how many people work for that track, including you? No, don't tell me. I'm keen to guess. One. And in that order? Fake it till you make it, my old man used to say. Well, this is just sounding more and more reassuring. The doctor was beginning to realize just what the cloister bell had been trying to warn him about. Time itself in pain. If his suspicions were correct, it wasn't just the occupants of the outcome who were in danger. Three more passengers on the observation room had fallen ill since the doctor's departure. All of them displayed traces of the fungus. Now Martha was attempting to navigate Hobbes' computerized medikit in search of any mention of this alien disease. Thank you for choosing the Partho Industries medikit. To validate your license, please enter your 40-digit access code. Oh, terrific, growled Martha, hitting the next button multiple times in the hope that she'd eventually reach something useful. Finally, a Partho Industries logo appeared, and beneath it, a space for her to enter symptoms, or, if she knew it, the name of her malady. Now, does Malorian have one L or two? If you have recently discovered traces of Malorian fungus, good news. Oh, we could do with some of that, she said. The condition is treatable in almost 100% of cases. Martha remembered the dead Califera. 99, she thought. 98 in a minute, unless she took action. The fungus causes skin irritation and mild respiratory complications. Mild? Martha scoffed. If unchecked over a period of several months, it may become serious. But treatment is simple and always efficacious. None of this made sense to her. If this fungus was never fatal and took months to even become a problem, how is it killing people in minutes? And what was she supposed to do about it? The doctor hadn't wanted his suspicions about what might be happening on the outcome to be correct. But the unhealthy noise as they entered the ship's engine room simply confirmed his fears. Well, that's just brilliant. I'm being sarcastic, by the way, not sure if you could tell. I haven't seen a magnetic quantum field generator in centuries. Centuries? What are you talking about? I'm the one asking the questions, Mr. Hobb. Where did you get this? I got it online, from the Maldivar Market pewter page. It looked better in the picture than it did when it arrived, and the instructions were in Metasigma Folian. But it works. Barely. He pulled out his sonic screwdriver. What's that? I said I'm the one asking the questions. You didn't ask a question. All right, here's one. Do you know what this gauge means? The doctor pointed at a series of small illuminated bars behind a glass panel. The last two bars were lit up green, the rest were mauve. As they watched, the next to last bar changed from green to mauve too. Look, I pilot the ship, and this thing powers the ship. Sold as seen, admittedly, but I was assured it had a few good years left in it. The doctor tapped the gauge with his sonic screwdriver. Mauve is the color of danger, Mr. Hobb. I thought red was the color of danger. Oh, don't start. This says you're practically running on fumes. The doctor noticed a security camera hanging from the ceiling. That connected to the bridge. That's right. The doctor turned the camera so that it focused on the gauge. Now we can keep an eye on it. I don't understand it. The ad said it was state-of-the-art. No, it's just a state. Now, you said there weren't any Malorians on board, didn't you? There aren't. But there have been, and recently. Well, 
That wasn't a question, it was a statement. It's a correct statement, am I right? And that is a question. Fine, yes. They were on the last cruise over the Battle of Britain. One of them seemed a little off-color. A paler shade of orange than usual, but I put that down to motion sickness, time sickness, whatever. I didn't think it was, you know, sickness sickness. It was Malorian fungus! Uh, Malorian fungus is about as serious as the uncommon cold. It should be. But you went and bought a faulty quantum field generator. It leaks tachyokinetic energy every time you enter the vortex. Tachyokinetic energy? Is that even a thing? Oh, it's a thing, Mr. Hobb. Trust me. I'm an expert in time. And you've turned time into our enemy. Back on the observation room, Martha had found a pen-like vaccination device in the medikit. Loading it with an ampule of serum, she'd used it to successfully slow down the spread of the mold on the bovine alien. Whether it was really malorian fungus or not, she thought, at least the treatment works. When three more passengers displayed symptoms, she gave them the same treatment and the mold slowed its spread. Now, she'd begun the process of inoculating everyone else. It was proving more of a test of her bedside manner than her skills as a doctor. Until the vaccine ran out. Oh no! Martha looked at the line of expectant alien faces. Hold on everyone, give me a minute. She grabbed the medikit and went back to its box on the wall. Prosium dehalcinate is still the best treatment for malorian fungus on the market. If, however, you do not have any, prosium dehalcinate. I don't, she complained, waving the empty ampule at the unseeing medikit. Then you can produce an effective substitute by combining trichormethylene with hydroxyl alprazoline. She began rummaging through the box, searching for the correct supplies. Right, she said to herself. Now I'm a chemist. This is turning out to be a big day. Unexpectedly, the image of the doctor shimmered into view before her. Like the commercial of Nathan Hobbs she'd seen in the lounge, he, too, was missing his legs. Martha? Martha, are you there? Is this thing on? I can see you! She cried. Well, most of you. Same here. Being a hologram suits you. Not a lot of people can pull off that look. Hobb and I are on the bridge now. Just wanted to let you know that we're going to be making a sudden course correction. So brace yourself. How are things in the emergency room? She explained that she'd been treating the condition as a bad case of malorian fungus, despite what the medikit had said. It seemed likely to her that the infection was spread by minuscule pieces of the mould attaching themselves to passengers' skin. Spot on diagnosis, Dr Jones. It shouldn't be the fungus, but it is. I was right about the link. The tachyokinetic energy bleeding from the ship's drive has sped up its life cycle. It's evolved into something deadly. By my calculations, the drive's only got two more time jumps left in it. We should be able to get home. Hang on. Won't that mean the disease will keep mutating? Maybe. We don't have any choice. Just do your best. She hoped that once she'd concocted her makeshift vaccine, there'd be enough to go around. Whether it would be strong enough to fight off whatever the fungus changed into next was another matter. The Megara in particular had been very reluctant to be injected. Martha realised that the giant mole had somehow wandered off without her noticing. She was about to mention the fact to the doctor when a thought struck her. Hang on, she said. Why can't we all get out of here in the TARDIS? Sitting on the bridge, wondering what he could do to get out of this situation, Hobbs seized on Martha's question. What's a TARDIS? Never you mind. The TARDIS is out. The way the outcome's leaking energy, we can't risk it. I don't even open the doors. Besides, we can't leave an alien virus in Earth's past. It'll wipe out everything from 1066 onwards. No Shakespeare, no New New York, no Martha Jones. That's what made the cloister bell toll. 
The TARDIS could sense the strain the timeline was under. Oh, and flying to Meloria for treatment's out too, so don't even suggest it. I already told you all this. The outcome lacks interstellar travel capacity. It's Earth or nothing. You just want to make me look bad in front of her. The Doctor gave Hob a hard stare. You know what? I'm glad I didn't pay for this trip, because I'm definitely not getting my money's worth. He studied the screen where the engine room gauge was displayed. The final green bar was looking pretty pale, he thought. There's only one way back, Martha, and that's in the outcome. I know it's not ideal, but once we're in Hobbs time... What do you mean? My time? We were just passing through when we collided with your ship. I thought that was just time turbulence. Time turbulence? 99% of the time, that's an excuse made by bad drivers who don't know how to pilot their own ship. You're always saying we've hit a patch of time turbulence. Hologram Martha pointed out. Not now, Martha. I'll get back to you in a minute. The doctor shut off the communications and her image vanished. You're telling me you hit me? Why don't you watch where you're going? I could sue you, you lunatic! If you're thinking lawsuits, you should worry about your passengers. We need to focus on getting them to a medical facility in the 30th century. We might just make it back with someone competent at the helm. Brace yourself, Mr. Hobb, for the very last flight of the outcome. The doctor raised his hands above his head in a melodramatic gesture. Before he could bring them down on the navigational controls, he was distracted by a thumping sound. He turned to see the Megara stomping angrily towards him. Oh, hello, big fella, said the doctor cheerily. How are you finding the trip so far? Educational? I heard what you said to the Martha woman. The doctor took a cautious step back. Oh, you did? And you weren't reassured by it, am I right? I don't think we were properly introduced, mister. My name is Palax. The creature didn't look at all happy. But the way its fangs jutted from its moor at ungainly angles, it was hard to imagine how it could ever appear happy. Hello, Palax. I'm the Doctor. Look, I know this has been a bit of a trial for all of us, but if you just keep your head... The overgrown maul stabbed an accusing claw at Nathan Hobb. You said he's the one making us sick, making us dead. Look, so long as you completed your travel insurance form, you'll be covered for any inconvenience. Inconvenience?! The Megara rammed his fist into the wall, making an enormous dent. Now, look, big fella, really big fella, the important thing right now is to remain calm. The suggestion seemed to enrage Palax. I don't want to be calm! He's wrecking the bridge! The Doctor ducked, just in time. Claws that could have separated his head from his body sliced straight through the navigational controls. Everyone on the bridge was briefly blinded by a shower of sparks that resulted. No, 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 no! The Doctor prepared to dodge another blow, but then... The floor shifted beneath them, and all three were thrown off their feet. The Doctor found himself pressed against the console, circuits raining down upon him from the smash control column. We're gonna crash! We're not crashing. Not yet! The Doctor assured him. We're free-falling through the vortex! From his crouching position, he could still see the drive's gauge on the monitor. The final green bar began to flicker. Attempting to treat alien patients for an alien disease she knew nothing about had been trying enough. But now Martha found herself sliding about with each violent movement of the outcome. She'd seen on her student rotation how stressful the Royal Hope's emergency room could get, but at least the floor stayed in one place. This must be the course correction the doctor had talked about, she thought. She hadn't expected it to be this rough. Everybody just try to remain calm, Martha told her unsteady patients. She mustered as much authority as she could from her undignified position on the floor. You're on your way back to... well, back to the future. And once we're there... oh no! Martha was stunned to see a globule of mould hanging in the air. 
It was about the size of a golf ball and lazily bobbing towards her. The doctor was right. It had been considerably mutated by their rapid flight through time. In that moment, she realized that in her haste to treat everyone, she'd neglected to vaccinate herself. Martha stared at the globule as she reached for the vaccine pen somewhere on the floor beside her. Her fingers found the reassuring plastic tube, but even if she inoculated herself now, she thought, would it have time to take effect? The mold was inches from her face. In a final desperate gesture, Martha raised the pen and, instead of injecting herself, jabbed it into the center of the approaching globule. To her astonishment, the globule shrank like a balloon losing air. In seconds, it had returned to its original state, a tiny mold stain on the floor in front of her. I guess that works then, she said, massively relieved. On the bridge, the doctor darted for what was left of the controls as the whole ship lurched again. Where are we going? Palax demanded. You tell me, said the doctor. You're the one who just did the programming with your big fat fist. I'm not angry, I'm just very dis... Actually, you know what? I am angry. An abrupt jolt sent Palak slipping across the floor, his head striking the wall. Yeah, you sleep it off. The doctor produced his sonic screwdriver and began to work on the remains of the Navi control column. I've had enough of this magical mystery tour, he said, feverishly connecting the exposed wires. Abruptly, the turbulence ceased. Got it! You fixed it? After a fashion. We're out of the vortex. But not where we were. Not by a long chalk. And we seem to have lost the perception filter. That's not good. People are bound to see us. A flying saucer? Yeah, I expect so. Glad to see you've started taking responsibility. I can't risk altering anything in the past. Doctor, I might not have a future to go back to. No future, no business. Oh, that's right. It's all about business, isn't it? It's about survival. Right now I'm wondering whether we can survive, or whether it's even worth it. You let me worry about that, okay? This is my ship! And if I'm going into liquidation, I'm doing it my way. We've got bigger problems than your ego, Mr. Hobb. We've got to make sure the fungus doesn't get off the ship and wipe out humanity in the past. And we've only got the power for one last time jump. He eyed the prone Magera. Hopefully this time without any unwanted help. So when and where are we right now? We weren't in the vortex for long. Probably about a thousand years, give or take. Tentatively, the doctor began pressing buttons on the partially wrecked Navi control column. I'm going to set us down. Find somewhere quiet where the systems can recalibrate. I thought you knew where we were. I do know where we are. Roughly. But the ship doesn't. Are you even sure there's enough power in the drive to get us home? The doctor glanced over at the flickering gauge on the screen. Yeah, pretty sure. I think you're lying. It's as plain as the nose on your face. I've had bigger noses. In the dead of night, leaves rustled and branches creaked as the time-travelling saucer hovered through the sky. It wobbled unsteadily in the air, clipping the tops of the trees before lowering slowly into a clearing. Automatically, several long silver legs deployed, allowing it to set down safely on the forest floor. The arrival, however, had not gone unnoticed. On the outcomes bridge, the doctor checked the instruments. Looks like we've landed. Hobbs sat next to the unconscious Magera, listlessly stroking its fur. He seemed somehow changed, as though all the energy had been drained from him. Waste. Of. Time. Hard to imagine how anyone can waste time in a time ship, but you're doing it right now, Doctor. Do you want to know what I think we should do? Nope. Late 20th century. As for where, well, it's night time and we're in a forest somewhere in Suffolk. 
Everyone's in bed, except for the owls. A small group of soldiers moved stealthily around the trees towards the site of the strange new arrival. Almost on top of it, sir, reported Sergeant Nevins, Geiger counter in one hand, starlight scope in the other. This is where we saw the craft go down. Lieutenant Colonel Hugo Salt hadn't known what to expect from what the British called Boxing Day. He was pretty sure it didn't usually involve a strange glowing object suddenly appearing over Woodbridge Air Force Base. What the hell can it be? He wondered. Some kind of experimental Russian spycraft, maybe? Nevin suggested. I sure as hell hope so, Sergeant. I mean, I've heard stories, but that's all they are. Stories. Still, now I've got a unit out here creeping around a spooky English forest at three in the damn morning. I think I'd actually be relieved if we bumped into Russians, you know. Salt noticed that his torch kept failing, but Nevins was more interested in examining the nearby pine trees. Sir, you, you see these circular abrasions? I'm picking up a strange heat signature on the scope. Seventeen years in the Air Force base, thought Salt, and this was like nothing he'd ever dealt with before. And then they saw the light. A powerful yellow strobe-like flash ahead through the trees. Please, God, Salt prayed. Let it be Russians. Inside the outcome, the doctor hovered impatiently round the control systems he had coaxed back into life. He now had Hobbs' newfound despondency to deal with on top of everything else. We've got a giant alien virus on board that we don't let out. Not in the past, not in the present, not ever. None of us is getting out of here alive. It's impossible. Frustrated, the doctor rounded on him. You're right, it is impossible, but I've never let anything like that stop me before, and I won't now. Now shut up! The recalibration shouldn't take more than ten minutes. <sighs> the doctor wasn't certain how long Palax the Megera had been conscious. The manner in which he swatted away Hobbs' hand and rose to his full massive height suggested he was still unhappy. I'm getting out of here. Stay where you are, Palax. I just need a little more time. We all need that, Doctor. But we're not going to get it. You want to stop this virus? Stop it dead? You've got to take the nuclear option. Ignore him, Palax. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Just sit back down! The Megera simply knocked the Doctor out of his way. He collided with Hob and both of them collapsed in a heap. Wait! The Doctor cried, but Palax had stomped off the bridge, leaving the Time Lord and the human disentangling their limbs. Oh, great. The Doctor grumbled. The fate of the whole future is at stake, and I'm stuck playing Twister. Salt was the first of his unit to reach the clearing. Nevins just a few steps behind. There, just as they'd feared, was the large circular craft that had briefly hovered over their base. No way is that a spy ship. No way, said Nevins, understandably rattled. That's a flying saucer. Salt couldn't disagree. That's what it was, all right. He recalled those tall tales he'd heard about military contact with extraterrestrials. Could they all be true? If they were, not one of those aliens he'd heard about had turned out to be friendly. When he came to write his report on the incident, Salt realized he couldn't remember precisely when he'd drawn his weapon. Was it when the hatch opened? Or when the silhouette of that hulking monstrosity had appeared? What did it matter? It'd all be redacted anyway. Martha came running at the sound of the gunshot. It never even occurred to her that she ought to be heading in the opposite direction. Evidently, that thought hadn't struck the doctor either, who was now at her side in the corridor, leading to the ship's main exit. You heard it too? She asked. Uh-huh. 
he responded. I think I know where we are. Rendlesham Forest, 1980. I remember reading about the UFO sighting the last time I dropped in. Always meant to find out who was behind it. Turns out it was me. Bit embarrassing, really. They came to an abrupt halt inside the open hatchway. The prone form of Palax lay at their feet, several smoking holes in his chest. Martha bent down to examine him, just as shots bounced off the ceiling. Maybe you should try and explain that to them, she yelled, ducking for cover. They don't seem to be in much of a mood to listen, said the doctor. Besides, if I did, I suppose it wouldn't have stayed a mystery. He waited for a pause in the barrage, then leaped for a large green button above the hatch. Steady, lads, he yelled at the soldiers as he pressed the button. The hatch slid smoothly back into place. You're lucky your hide's so thick or you'd be one dead Megara right now, the doctor told the groaning Palax. Mother, do you think we're up to moving him? She shook her head. Nope, but I can't do anything from here. So what choice do we have? He's heavier than he looks, the doctor complained as they dragged Palax slowly through the corridor. Haven't seen any more of those globules around. Martha heaved on a clawed limb. I popped a few of them on the way here. So why don't we make it back to the 30th century? The doctor shook his head. Had to make a pit stop and let the system recalibrate. The ship should be, well, ship-shaped now. Just as well, since we've only got power for one more jump. At the sound of the ship re-entering the vortex, the doctor dropped the Megara's arm and tugged at his own hair in frustration. We're going backwards again. What's he doing? Holograms of Nathan Hobb shimmered into being at regular points along the corridor. You're probably wondering what I'm doing, Doctor. That's exactly what I'm wondering. Thanks for trying to save everyone. But I just don't have confidence in your proposal. So I'm out. Instead, I'm doing what I should have done from the start. I'm taking responsibility for my actions. I'm dodging the consequences. I can't allow a mutated alien pathogen to run wild in Earth's history. And in the unlikely event that you could get us home, I certainly can't face the legal ramifications. So I'm taking the nuclear option. By which I mean the atomic option. Just a quick trip. 35 years. It's better this way, I promise. You won't feel a thing. The doctor broke into a run. Martha, come on. If we don't stop Hob, there won't be anyone left to save. He's going after the gadget. Martha didn't get the opportunity to ask the Doctor what the gadget was before he launched into an explanation. That's what they called it at first, then they changed the name to Trinity. She knew she'd heard the name before, and then it came to her. History lessons, the Second World War, the atom bomb. The detonation will destroy the ship and all traces of the fungus. Look out! In their way was a globule, twice the size of a beach ball. It bobbed towards them slowly along the corridor. There was no way past. The fungus had mutated again. Stepping in front of the doctor, Martha produced the vaccine pen. Don't worry, she said. I've got this. The doctor was about to grab her arm when she thrust the pen forward, piercing the surface of the globule and discharging the antidote. The doctor nodded appreciatively as they gingerly stepped around it and hurried on. Impressive work. Martha's face fell as she checked the pen. Let's hope we don't run into any more. I'm all out of vaccine. Hobb was slumped against the Navi control as they arrived on the bridge. Tears were in his eyes, but to Martha's astonishment, he seemed to be smiling. Hobb, don't do this, the doctor pleaded. Too late now. Brace yourself, folks. It's going to be a bumpy landing. The doctor and Martha steadied themselves in the doorway as best they could. 
Even so, they were almost knocked off their feet by the impact as the outcome slammed into the ground. <sighs> Destination reached. Jornada del Muerto Desert, quarter past five, the 16th of July, 1945. I really am sorry, folks. I apologize. Especially to you, Martha. You never got to see me at my best. You're completely mad, she told him. Could be. We won't have the opportunity to get a proper diagnosis. Trinity will detonate in 14 minutes, and assuming I'm reading that gauge properly for a change, the quantum field generator has finally conked out, finished, destroyed, over, period. We're completely out of juice. The doctor looked over at the screen displaying the engine room. The final bar had at last given up and turned from green to mauve. Out of juice. Out of juice! The doctor repeated, as though it was the wisest thing he'd ever heard. Hurriedly, he ran his sonic screwdriver over the controls. It's dead. It's completely dead. Us too, in about 14 minutes. Sorry, 13 and a half. Nathan Hobb, you are the stupidest genius I've ever met. Stay here, don't touch anything. Actually, touch what you like. It won't make any difference. But keep the door closed. There's a very nasty bug going round. Martha, with me. Good thing she got plenty of exercise back on Earth, Martha thought, as she followed him off the bridge. Her life seemed to involve an extraordinary amount of running these days. When he wanted to, the doctor could really sprint. Martha was having a hard time keeping up with him along the source's corridors. You've done it, haven't you? She said. You figured out how to save them. It's simple, he replied. We use the TARDIS. Martha remembered what he'd said when she had made the same suggestion. I thought that was too dangerous, she said. Well, the drive system was operating, yeah, but Hobbs's run it dry. It's safe now, theoretically. Before she could question him further, though, the doctor grabbed her by the collar of her jacket and forced her to the ground. A second later, he was lying at her side. A gigantic globule of mould hovered centimetres above them. Martha didn't dare breathe until she was certain it had moved past them. How many more of them are there? Too many. Look. The way ahead of them was choked with globules, floating around like cells in the bloodstream. This is gonna slow us down. Stay low till we get to the TARDIS. They shuffled along the floor on elbows and knees, freezing each time they neared a globule. Come on, come on, the doctor urged. Martha was struck by a worrying thought. How are we going to get everyone in past this lot and into the TARDIS in time? We're not, the doctor said. The glass doors slid open and they tumbled into the lounge. Martha thought she'd misheard him. What? The doctor yanked the key from his pocket and unlocked the TARDIS. We've got one minute, he said. So we're leaving them here. They dashed into the TARDIS, the doctor kicking the door shut and bounding to the console. Martha watched in disbelief. You can't be serious. Never entirely, he said, racing around the controls. I do like a good last-minute escape, though. Something bothering you? She folded her arms defiantly. You're actually saying we should leave them all behind? I'm not saying that at all. Watch. First, a quick trip. Destination right here, right now. We're now around the outcome. Bit of a squeeze, but still. Then, away again, as fast as possible. But how are we for time? In the desert, one craft, the flying saucer that had appeared from nowhere 14 minutes earlier, flipped out of existence to be replaced by another. Something much smaller, box-shaped and blue. None of this would appear in the official reports. 
The TARDIS began to dematerialize, but too slowly. It was still struggling to fade from reality as the moments ticked away. It was 5.29 a.m. on the 16th of July, 1945. The world's first atomic bomb detonated. Hold tight, Martha, he said, as the explosion propelled them into the vortex at an unfathomable rate. Martha grabbed the railing surrounding the console until, at last, something close to normality returned. Whoa! Nasty bit of time turbulence there. You're gonna get that. He flicked a switch on the console. Afternoon, Mr. Hobb. How's every little thing where you are? Hobb's voice came through the speaker on the console. Doctor? Is that you? I heard the bomb go off. Am I dead? Your ship's inside my ship now. Number three hold, to be exact. Hold on, that's where I keep all my comics. I hope they're okay. I've got a full run of wizard ships down there. Your ship? Yep. I materialized around the outcome just before detonation. We're presently on a course back to the 30th century. But we're trapped in here, surrounded by fungus. We're all gonna die! Everyone would already be dead if it was up to you, Martha pointed out. Before she could scold Hob any more, the Doctor interrupted. The good news is, I'm currently using my TARDIS to reverse the flow of time over your ship. Those Malorian fungus spores should be shrinking back to their normal size. You'll hear a ping when it's done. He pulled a lever and the TARDIS engines wheezed again as it reached its destination. Here we are, back in your own time, Mr. Hob. 30th century, Royal Hope Hospital, short-term spaceship parking. I know someone who used to work here, a millennium or so back. You'll like it. He's got a little shop and everything. For my last trick, I'll dematerialize, leaving the outcome behind. Give the medical staff as much assistance as possible, will you? You'll probably get stuck with a bill for treating your patients, but that'll be the least of your worries, what with the lawsuits and the arrest. You keep telling yourself that. I'm gonna get out of this, and I'll take out a bigger lawsuit against you! Sorry, can't stay. Do the right thing, Nathan Hobb. You can run, but my people will find you. I've got your name, Dr. Ferret. Hobbs' voice faded as the TARDIS took off once again. The Doctor beamed at Martha, but she found it difficult to return the smile. I owe you an apology, Doctor, she said. Eh? replied the Doctor, for doubting you. Ah, pfft! Only for a minute. What's a minute when you're 900 years old? What matters, Martha, is you didn't doubt yourself. That's how you helped as many of those people as you did. You might still be waiting for your doctorate back on Earth, but you definitely earned it out here today. She wasn't sure just what to say, so she said nothing. That seemed like the safest bet. Now, where do you fancy going next? Back home, you said. Oh, I did say that, yeah, but after everything we just went through, I feel like we owe ourselves a holiday, and not one organised by Backtrack. Sounds good to me. At last, Martha felt like smiling.
Lewitt, Scott here, producer of the 10th Doctor Chronicles, and I am joined this afternoon for episode two by... Jacob Dudman. Helen Goldwyn. Jonathan Colshaw, Reading, Reading History. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fun day today, the second of our 10th Doctor stories. Um, Jake, something a bit different for you, yes. tackling the Martha period. Yes, yes, and, uh, and uh, what a wonderful character she is to be as well. Um, and the story's just sort of wonderful. It's got time in it. It's got it's got U.S. Air Force in it, and it's got John Colshaw in it as it well. It has. <laughs> Welcome, John, better. back to the Big Finish world. Uh, always a joy to be here. Yes, it, it's a real. It's it's a story, just w- with that uh, tone and, and feeling of, of the David Tennant era, isn't it? You you could, it, mm. as we were reading this today, you, you you can just see it all unfolding in your mind's eye. Mm. You know, the theatre of the mind is fantastic with it. And Helen. Um, for those who don't know, Jake and John have worked together before. Um, how has it been reining these two in throughout the day? <laughs> it's been a joy. I have to say that because they're here, but it has been a joy. <laughs> You're contractually obliged. <laughs> I'm not contractually obliged to say that at all. Um, yeah, it's lovely because there's chemistry there. When when people are relaxed with each other and they know each other and they like each other and they've worked together before, you know, you can't ask for more for better chemistry. And, and uh, yeah, it's been very relaxed and, and great fun. Yeah, I think when when I first heard that uh, I was going to be doing one of these with John, uh, my first thought was, oh, they're going to be regretting that. Pertwee <laughs> and Smith going back and forth all day. But yeah. actually, we've been very well well uh, well behaved, haven't we, John? And of course, you did the great curator video together, both of you, as the... Yeah, I could be a curator. <laughs> you know, I really think you... <laughs> yes, I really think you did, you did, you did, yeah, yes. Yeah. How did that come about for those who... Uh, it was an absolute joy. I mean, uh, John got in touch and, and was saying um, how wonderful it... Actually, really interesting story. Really interesting story. A couple of years ago, I released my first ever video online, uh, Matt Smith impression, and I had a dream and tweeted about said dream, uh, added John Colshaw, saying, just had the strangest dream that me and John Colshaw recreated the scene from the day of the Doctor where 4 meets 11. And uh, John replied, I don't know whether he remembers this, I've never brought this up, I don't think, to you, John, but he replied saying, uh, oh, my goodness, what, like a scene out of Inception. <laughs> and uh, two years later, I, I dug up the tweet, I'll show you afterwards, um, uh, we did it, wow. and it was amazing. Yes, I remember you saying that, actually, because uh, initially we'd spoken about um, doing an interview uh, in aid of the Save the Rhino charity. That's mm. what we first spoke about. Yeah. And I sort of said I'd be meaning to get in touch anyway. You know, I think we should yeah. re- do something with that curator scene. And then, and yes, it, it was in both of our minds, it. wasn't yes, it? Exactly. Yeah. Thoughts are things, people. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And now you're, you're big finishing. Yeah. And uh, neither of you, I think it's safe to say, are strangers to mad voices and characters yeah. and accents and we've been throwing quite a lot of them at you today jake and i've been a bagera <laughs> and a little grasshopper like thing because and last time uh, it was just yeah the doctor and the uh, doctor and some eastern european so, yeah man. yeah um helen from your point of view as a director how difficult is it when you've got you know even two brilliant sort of voice actors finding all the different voices and making all the characters different even the 
you know, small parts. I think my job is to is to quell the panic, quell the sort of uh, the pro- the pre- propelling energy that comes from the panic of seeing four different characters one after the other, because actually they're they're so infinitely capable of of doing it. It's just when you're in the energy of that scene that it, you can get caught up in the, you know, gets get um, a bit distracted by that that energy and that power and speed of the scene. Whereas actually, as I kept uh, reminding Jake, we can stop and we can have pauses in between those different characters because everything in the post-edit can be closed up and, and tightened up. But but as an actor, your impulse is just to keep the momentum yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to uh, feel the natural flow of uh, the paragraphs, but actually, in reality, it's going to sound better if you do take those mm. pauses between narration, Martha, doctor, narration, Martha, you know. And John, you've done a few of the... Uh, Good old-fashioned target audiobooks. Yes. Um, how yes, does this differ from... Uh... Yes, it's uh, it, it's wonderful to do a, a brand new story. This is the first time this is being done. Uh, a cracking story as well. As I say, the theatre of the mind. With As we're reading it, I can, I can just visualise um, David Tennant's Doctor and Martha running down the corridor in that style. That's the pace at which this operates. And uh, splendid to work with Jake. Um, that's a superb... Uh, David Tennant. Oh, thank you very much. That just that sort of tumbling ball of energy um, is captured there so brilliantly. Um, And yes, wonderful to do a brand new story like this. And also, Jake, you can thank uh, Matthew for not only script, but also all the technobabble that you've enjoyed today. Yes, all of the uh, uh, tachyokinetic agitation crystals or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which has been a, a joy to fumble over. I mean... It's so brilliantly written, you know, uh, being able to come up with lines like that is, is just uh, genius. And uh, and I'd, I'll hate him for a little bit, but then actually when I listen back to it and hopefully it's all right, I think, yeah, that's, that's pretty good, that is. <laughs> and Helen, how are you finding the Chronicle so far? Two stories in. I'm I'm in a state of of being thrilled. I, you know, I just find the whole thing thrilling to to have um, David Tennant's character conjured up so brilliantly by Jake, and to be working with, uh, you know, such a young talent uh, who is clearly, you know, got so much vast potential beyond the brilliance that he already has. I mean, that's just thrilling and not sickening at all. And then to work with uh, guest actors, you know, like John, uh, you know, it never ceases to be a delight to me. I think on that note, should we give the final words to the different doctors, respectively? Oh, yes. So, which doctors do you want? <laughs> well, I don't know. We should just see uh, which one of them tumbles out first. Just remember, know. have a fantastic life. <laughs> on uh, that yes, note. I'll, I'll do my, I'll do my very best. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so I think I can have a fantastic oh, life this now. Is, this is going to get into a fencing match in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. <laughs> so many different doctors in the ears. Um, Jake, John and Helen, thank you very much for a lovely day. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, listeners, join us for the next disc. Bye. <laughs>